Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hey guys, it's Judy Stevens. Hey, it's Sana Manan. And I'm Angelique Rocher. Happy January. Yeah, yeah. It was warm last weekend. That was great. It's still kind of warm outside. At least in New York City. I hear snow's coming, though. I like snow. I really like snow. I want snow and I want to go sledding. No, I'm from the south and I do Ugh. not believe any of the oh, snow no. stuff that you're talking about. Oh my god, I love about. sledding. Sledding's like a dream. It's mostly an excuse for me to say, okay, I can curl up under my blanket, drink this hot cocoa, and not see yes. anyone. Okay, yes. so I <laughs> respect that. Yes. yes, it's an excuse for being a hermit. It's the one time that I respect staying on the couch. Sana, I agree with you. <laughs> The theme of Women of Marvel, Sana on the couch watching TV. Yeah. Watching Disney Plus. What a themed segue for today's episode. So if you guys are not familiar, I work on a show called Marvel's Hero Project. And it's just a fantastic show that celebrates these young change makers who are actually doing good in their communities. And by young, I mean young. I mean, no one is older than the age of like 17. And it was really awesome to cover their stories, talk a little bit about who they are and why they're so special and what makes them real Marvel heroes because, spoiler alert, we make them into Marvel comic book heroes. We give them their own comic book by the end of each episode. So I believe we're about halfway through season one. And on this week's episode, which is airing on Disney Plus on January 17th, Friday, January 17th, that's tomorrow, we feature Takata Iron Eyes. She's 16. She's a very empowered, enlightened young woman. She lives on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and she calls for a lot of action for the protection of her indigenous land and has spoken at a lot of rallies supporting Native American people across the country. She also has been doing a lot to support and help activate young people's voices, particularly in her community, and encourage other kids to find their voices and tell their own stories. And obviously, where we are, that resonates with us very, very deeply. I just love the idea that she understands how important it is to tell your personal story and the story of your people. And you talk to her by phone, right? Yes. she's like mad busy, still like continuously working. Doing all of these rallies, speaking at these events, working with these young kids. She has a lot going on. So she was gracious enough to give us some time on the phone, calling in from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and telling us exactly why she does what she does and hopefully inspiring all of us to do the same. Hello, Takata. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Very multifaceted young woman you are, and you have been doing such important work, and you started doing it at a young age. Why don't you share with us a little bit about what your origin story is? Obviously, here at Marvel, we're very excited about stories, and we want to know a little bit about how you got your start and what your sort of first experiences were. Yeah, for sure. So I first started public speaking when I was nine. Um, My mother actually really encouraged me to speak up about things that I believed in. And she first gave me the opportunity to share my voice at a board meeting in Rapid City, South Dakota, about potential uranium mining in the Black Hills, which is a sacred site to the Lakota people, to my people. And so 
I decided that I was going to say something. And the feeling that I had of having power and control over the situation, feeling like I could contribute to the solution, um, that I had a role to play, that feeling never went away, but I think it stayed dormant for a little while. And then at the age of 12, I was living in Standing Rock um, when the Dakota Access Pipeline was proposed. And that's sort of when everything kicked off for me because I realized that even though maybe we don't live next to a lot of the atrocities happening in our world, we're aware of them and we have a responsibility to use our voice to bring awareness to them. And so... I started speaking out about the issues that the fossil fuel industry was causing within um, my community and within indigenous communities all over the world. And it sort of grew as I got older and educated myself. It it grew more towards, you know, the current climate crisis happening right now. I think that advocacy, especially coming from indigenous communities, is super important because as we see right now in a lot of media, there's not a lot of representation of our voices and of our perspectives. So to have somebody so young and to be able to be a role model for myself and for other young people, I think was such a really beautiful opportunity. So much of what you speak about is about the climate crisis. You speak nationwide at climate rallies. What is it about this issue that you're so drawn to? Why this in particular? Right now, actually, indigenous communities hold 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. And what biodiversity is, is basically kind of like the last string of healthy green ecosystems that this world has left to offer. And because taking care of the earth and treating our land and our resources with respect is something that is really inherent in indigenous culture, we've been able to keep those ecosystems alive for millennia. And now, you know, when we're looking at all of the droughts and all of the natural disasters happening, we should also be looking towards our indigenous communities for the solutions to those problems. Um, Because this is not a new way of living. It's actually a really old one and one that was intentionally covered to be able to profit off of a lot of people's problems. And so what I think drew me to it was I I just realized that there was a solution to a problem that people weren't talking about. And I knew that it was my responsibility as somebody who had become aware of it to share that message um, and to bring hope to the situation. I think a lot of conversation around the climate crisis is really negative. And to be able to say that it's not that we have to create this entire new way of living, it's that we have to look back to the ones who knew how to do it already. Um, We have to look back to our ancestors to the heroes of the past. I think you're you're so inspiring because, one, you have the strength to be able to speak your voice, but at the same time, what you're doing is also activating other young folks. Are you meeting other people who are, like, inspired by what you're doing and, and, and joining the cause or finding their own you know, sort of story and mission to be a part of? 
Yeah, 100%. I think that the most solid examples that I can think of would be the youth that I've been able to inspire within my own small community. I, I think that it, it really shows when I have other young Indigenous people telling me that I've been able to inspire them to speak up for themselves. Because I think in a lot of ways, we have the opportunity every day to be a support system um, and to offer guidance to those around us. And so to be able to do that for other youth in my community, especially with the history and also the trauma that lays in a lot of Indigenous communities and Native American reservations, to be able to be an example and a sister to these young people has been something that I can never repay. And it's been really beautiful to watch how I can help other people grow. Because for me, a lot of my activism came out of necessity. And it didn't ever feel really like nourishing and something that I could keep a hold on and also like build into a lifestyle. Um, and so to be able to share that speaking your mind can be something very valuable, I think has been really awesome. You talk a lot about about storytelling and how that is, is so important to you and, and how you utilize that to activate your voice and, and others. What is it about stories that is so intriguing to you and that you feel like is powerful? Yeah, I mean, for one, storytelling is an inherent part of Native communities. All of our history has been passed down orally, and so we didn't ever have written language, we had art and we had paintings and we had our stories. And those are the very unique methods that we had to be able to share who we are with the world and with our children and the future generations. Um, and so to me, storytelling has always been something that's been very important to keep alive because we need to be able to tell our our history and to talk about our dreams and our hopes and our future in a way that is very universal. I think that language often creates a lot of barriers and to be able to use it to create bridges and relationships is something that is overlooked in a lot of ways. Um, because we have such a power, especially with stories and with words, to create negativity, whereas being able to build up communities and to strengthen bonds, I think, is something that everyone has the opportunity to do and doesn't realize it enough. What I what I think is also just so fantastic about your, your story is just also the connection to your lineage, to your cultural history, and I think also at the same time, you're changing the perception of your indigenous community and empowering young indigenous women in your episode. C can you talk a little bit about like how you're doing that and why that's so important to you? Yeah, I think especially with young women and girls in communities of color and in the indigenous communities especially, that empowerment is so essential and important because a lot of the issues that indigenous women are facing are heavily overlooked. Um, there's a huge epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women right now across the U.S. and across the world. And so I think 
especially for young women, it's so important to be able to know how we can address these larger systemic issues that are powering such intricate personal ones in our lives every day. How can we address them and how can we actively fight against them using art and using positivity? How can we create change without perpetuating the violence that we see around us? And I think that to be able to do that is so essential to creating a movement that is peaceful and that is positive. How do you actually do it all? Like you are a full-time student, (laughs) you're traveling around, and you're speaking at all these rallies. You have so many things that you're passionate about. How do you do it all? I I mean it, it I'm I won't lie I mean it 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 definitely comes with some difficulty. Um I actually was just having a conversation with one of my friends earlier in the week about um imposter syndrome and being able to recognize that we are worthy and deserving of our opportunities and of our blessings. And I think especially when we come from communities of scarcity, it's hard to recognize that and to really just be able to appreciate those things without guilt. And for me, it's definitely been a journey. I mean, I'm gone from my family a lot of the time, and I used to be a really dedicated student. But a lot of the things, a lot of my work outside of academic institutions has taken priority in a lot of ways. Um, And that's not to say that education isn't important. I think that it's just to say that there's definitely struggle in finding a balance between these things. Um, But I think that being able to recognize that, you know, I'm only 16 right now and there's a lot of there's a lot more to be done and there's a lot more time to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about it. Like you are 16 and I, I'm, I'm listening to you talk and, and honestly, I feel like you have such an old soul. Has anyone <laughs> told you that before that you have like an yes. old soul? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. I, I, I feel like you've already, obviously you've learned so much. You've accomplished so much 10, 15 years from now. Where do you want to take all this? What would be sort of your ideal? Um, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but I think one of the biggest accomplishments for me would look like being able to have empowered enough people within my community to tell their own story and to make their own media and create their own um, narratives that I can see my people within media and within the mainstream without having to actively push for it so much. I think that there's a huge struggle of trying to fight for time in a spotlight. There's a huge problem of people always trying to be the one person that a lot of companies or brands are looking for as their token uh, to be diverse. And I think to be able to recognize Indigenous people as more than that token, but rather as important and significant roles in today's world and society, I think that that would be awesome. To be able to recognize, you know, Indigenous artists on the radio, to be able to see um, Indigenous actors and actresses in major movies, I think that that would be really awesome. To be able to make a lot more first would be my only goal. Yeah, I mean, we 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 are you are preaching in the choir here. We feel you hard. I mean, it's so important to make sure that you have different kinds of voices and the the communities that you're representing are also unique and complex. 
And, you know, I, I was very excited about your story because of that, because you you have a message that obviously resonates very deeply for us storytellers here at Marvel. But I'm curious to know, with all of this in mind, with Marvel's Hero Project and the comic that we made about you, this is this is a story that is representing someone from your community, i.e. you. How, how, how did you react to it? How do you feel about having your story out there in the world in a through a company like Marvel, which is, you know, obviously a, a worldwide company. Yeah. How'd you like it? I mean, it's also kind of crazy because uh, there's been, you know, a lot of, like, media made about me. And Marvel, this episode that we did was actually one of the first videos that I've ever watched, like, fully of myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, you know, it's kind of like an awkward thing. But I think, yeah, it's just such a huge step in the right direction. And I think to be able to look back on this in the next 10 years and to always have something like this to cherish and to share with other young people is so incredible. Um, And to have this opportunity has been such a beautiful thing uh, for my family and for my community because it represents Uh, I think a world that all of us want to live in, a world where everyone's perspective and opinions and values are respected and honored and shown. It's such a beautiful opportunity. And it also just felt really good for, for once to see someone who looked like me in mainstream media, because that is something that is not done often. It, it's made me feel very proud of the work that I do, and it's definitely inspired me to keep going. So you haven't seen the full episode yet. You just saw a part no, of the trailer? No, just like different trailers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. How, how was that? Did it feel weird? I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for you to see the episode. I'm so I'm so curious to know if you're going to like it. I think it's beautiful. You you come across beautifully in it, and uh-huh, uh, ho- hopefully you're going to love it. Okay, so we're a comic book company, obviously, so we're all nerds here. <laughs> and I have a nerd question for you. Of course. What do you think your real-life superpowers are? Um. I would say that I have a really good superpower to be able to tell people's intentions. And I think that in a lot of ways that has helped in my path of work. And also that makes really good for making friends. Um, And (laughs) I also think that probably my biggest superpower is the ability to be a translator between kind of these two different worlds, this world that I live in on the reservation and amongst other indigenous folks, and also this world of people who might not have ever met a native person or have really recognized that there are still indigenous people in this country or maybe on this globe. I think the power to educate and the power to build bridges through language and through stories yeah, I think that that would be my biggest superpower. <laughs> That's awesome. You have, you clearly have the power of empathy, like <laughs> understanding of, of the global community. What kind of advice would you pass on to the generation after you to give them a boost of confidence and to help them find their purpose, their mission in life? Um, I think I would give them a piece of advice that my dad gave me when I first started speaking, which was that as long as you're speaking your truth, someone is listening. 
And I think to be able to hold that and keep that with you no matter where you are is a beautiful thing. Um, And it takes a lot of strength to be able to stand strong in who you are no matter what you're facing. And I would also say don't wait for somebody else to do what you can fix right now. I think that is the most perfect (laughs) way to end this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Takata for joining us. That interview was phenomenal. I'm kind of jealous I wasn't there, Sana. You guys should both be jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, I was a little nervous talking to her. Really? (laughs) Yes. We had like a list of like 15 questions we wanted to ask her. And every single time she answered one question, she like actually answered five of our other questions. Like she just knows what to say, how to say, and like you understand why she is such a beloved activist. And I'm just excited to see what else this this woman does. She has a sense of purpose at such a young age, and she still has that vibrant youthfulness and sense of idealism and purpose that I think will always be with her, and I think we need more of that. But just this idea, this responsibility, we love that word responsibility, great power and great responsibility. And I think She has this responsibility and in turn is actually giving power to so many other kids like her and is using that voice to be able to talk about the importance of telling your own narrative and fighting for the things that that you really believe in. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much courage that takes. The lack of narrative that gets out in regards to indigenous populations, but also particularly indigenous women. Mm -hmm. Because I've worked with indigenous organizations before and it is really, really heartening to hear that it's not just someone granting agency, it's someone taking agency and like bringing everyone else with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really heartwarming to see. I mean, because she's right, like there just aren't enough indigenous stories out there, definitely not in mainstream culture at all, mainstream mm-hmm. entertainment at all. So that is, I think, the next challenge. And, you know, I think she can be a part of that effort. I was like, hey, you want to write? You should write. <laughs> Come right with us because we do need we need to find those voices and to be able to kind of bring them into our fold so that we can amplify those voices a little bit more. So hopefully we're one step in that direction. And Dakota is just one of the amazing young people coming up on Marvel's Hero Project that are refreshing look at the future. You know, if you want to like sit on your couch with your hot cocoa, maybe it's snowing, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just cold and you just want to be on the couch. Yeah. And and you want to cry a little bit. Because you will cry. Yeah. You should definitely cry go check out. Cry in a good out. way. It's a, it's a good cry. Oh, it's a good cry. It makes you yeah. feel like so good inside. Yes. It also makes you feel like you need to go do something to make the world better. Yeah. Immediately. No, it truly does. You're kind of like, I'm not doing enough. These kids are like 15 and they're building houses for the homeless. They are preaching about the importance of protecting the youth. Like, like literally preaching, like they're on pulpits. Elijah is my Elijah is the best. I love Elijah. Yeah, but it's it's really great to see, and it's great to share with your family. So check out Marvel's Hero Project on Disney Plus every Friday. We've got a bunch of more episodes coming out, and tell us what you think. Yeah, tell us which episode is your favorite. Email us at womanof at marvel dot com or tweet at Marvel using hashtag Woman of Marvel. It's the beginning of the year, guys. What do you have coming up? <gasps> Okay. After you finish watching Marvel's Hero Project. Yes. What else do you have coming up? 
So I have a couple of projects that are kind of percolating on the ground. I can't talk about most of them. I can talk about some of them. Hashtag secrets. Secrets. But as you guys may have heard, we've partnered with Scholastic to do a few different middle grade books. And one of them is Shuri by Nick Stone, who is a fabulous author. She's so great, so talented. And she also happens to be a Marvel fan and was so excited to do this with us. And as you guys may or may not know, based on how I have been talking about my favorite Marvel things and the kinds of stories I like, I have been so excited and wanting more books that are for younger readers and for girls and for girls of color. So this partnership is really expanding our horizons on the kinds of stories that we can do, but also the kinds of audiences that we can reach. And I truly believe that everyone is going to love this book. Obviously, everyone loves Shuri. Shuri is awesome. But it's just a a really great take on a young Shuri. It's coming out in May. Uh, We will have a lot more coming out on that and some of the other projects that we're doing with Scholastic. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to be in the book fairs. Oh, my God. I remember when the Scholastic book truck do you know oh, it would come the to the whole school? book fair. And then oh, you the would, yes, fair, you would yeah. bring like the thing to your parents. You'd be like, hey, these are all the 25 plus books that I would yeah. like to yes. get from the book fair. Yes. yes. I yeah. saw one of those trucks the other day, guys. There's so much nostalgia it associated with it, right? so happy. Yeah. I love books. Yeah. That's why I was so excited when we found out we were actually able to do this project. I'm like, oh my God, it's like my childhood all over again. That's where I fell in love with books. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing, actually. I was speaking about just our commitment to young adult books and middle grade books and how that's expanded. We actually just found out that 13 of our books were just named on the Yalsa list. And Yalsa is the Young Adult Library Services Association. We usually maybe we'll have one book, two books. We have 13 books. That is actually kind of crazy for us. So these are sort of the, the recommendations that the Library Services Association makes about books that are appropriate for that market. Those 13 books that are on the Yalsa list, um, I think you guys have heard of most of them. A small little book called Miles Morales Straight Out of Brooklyn. That's uh, the first volume by Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon. There's also Ironheart by our dear friend Eve Ewing. And, of course, Miss Marvel's on there. Duh. Just kidding, guys. But not kidding, because <laughs> duh. The way that high schools and schools and libraries are getting excited about comic books as a way of getting people to read is a big deal. So thank you to Yalsa for uh, acknowledging us and helping to support the great books that we love. What's going on in your world, Angelique? You've, you've been gone a while. Oh, man. It feels like it's been a whole decade. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Thanks, Judy. Um, yo, so I'm, I'm back. It is uh, the day before when this when this podcast is dropping. It's the day before the Black Comic Book Fest, which Woo! is going to be at the Schomburg. I will be there. There's a lot of Marvel folks who like are there for panels. And so I'm excited to see all the independent artists. Hopefully I'll be dragging one of Marvel's editors, Chris Robinson, there on Saturday to talk a little bit about getting prepared for Marvel's Voices issue number. One. What is that? Tell us more. So there is going to be an anthology book coming out on February 19th, 2020. Go pre-order it now. But no, seriously, uh, Marvel's Voices issue number one. I was serious about the pre-order, but more seriously, it is an anthology series. I mean, everybody's 
in it. It's Roxanne Gay is in it. Evan Narcisse is in it. Aletha Martinez is in it. Charlemagne the God is in it. Uh, Method Man. Awesome. Brian Stelfreeze. Like so many incredible folks have come together. Fidi Ayala, who has been on the show, have come together to create this anthology series during Black History Month of the first ever Marvel's Voices comic book, as well as there's going to be some extended essays. One from David Benacourt, who actually writes for the Washington Post. For some reason, they let me write an essay. Uh, Tatiana King from For All Nerds. I'm just saying it's going to be great, as well as there's going to be a series of digital essays that are coming out online celebrating this. So that's what we've been getting ready for. I love that you've been able to use the Marvel's Voices platform in a way that's tangible. You know, it's like very much walking the walk. It's a great vehicle to kind of bring in more folks. Yeah. This was a nice celebration of what Voices is all about. Judy, what do you have going on? I just want to drop and say, Roxanne Gay, if you're not following her on Twitter, is like one of my favorite people in the world to follow on Twitter. I love her so much. So it's convention season. Actually, it's always convention season. It's always convention season. (laughs) There used to be a time where there was like a lull in conventions. No. JK, not anymore. First up, Women of Marvel is coming to C2E2, which is in Chicago, and it's February 28th to March 1st. That's rather early this year, right? It is very early. It's going to be very cold. This Week in Marvel will be coming out, too, so just stay tuned as we announce all the stuff. But for me, two weeks before that is Katsukon, which is an anime convention just outside Washington, D.C., and we're doing our annual big Marvel cosplay meetup on Saturday. That's Saturday, February 15th at 1 p.m. And this year, we're going to have like a fun Black Widow moment. But all Marvel cosplayers are welcome. If you're a Marvel fan and you just want to come check it out. Last year, I think we had like 300 people in costume on the stairs. It was pretty amazing. And Katsukon is just a great fun con. And I'm making things. I'm going to be wearing a cosplay or not. Maybe two. I don't know. We're deciding still what I'm going to wear. teasing right there, man. I love Katsukon. It's a good convention if you're looking for a con on the East Coast to go to. So and so, it's February 14th to the 16th. And then make sure you guys are penciling in C2E2 because we'll be having some fun in the cold places. I think that's it for this week. We will see you in two weeks. This is Marvel. Your universe. This episode of Women of Marvel was produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg. It was hosted by me, Judy Stevens. And me, Sana Manith. And me, Angelique Roche. Our audio development manager is Karen Heffa. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Thanks for listening. 